go. February 24th, 2013, lecture discussion number 100 on the Book of Romans. Uh, last Sunday was a bit of wandering around. The same for today. I'm going to be wandering around a little bit today. Um, uh, last Sunday we had a little biological science, um, very little actually, and we did some of this has become element of uh, Genesis 3.22. Uh, that becomes really important as time goes by because of the implications of the phrase has become in Genesis 3.22. Behold, the man has become. Uh, when you see that, you have to immediately ask, what did he become? When did he become? Why is this this time period of becoming what's involved here? Um, how long did it take him to be to become this, whatever he is now? So where did he start and where did he go and how did he get there? That's the implications of has become. Now, let me flip this around so that uh, uh, we can, we'll go back and forth today between both sides of the board. Yay, I didn't hit anything behind me. Um, there's implications that are very, very important. Uh, the, the Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.20, First uh, Timothy 2.14, or 2.15, sorry. Oops. And Romans 5.12. Those four, and this is a question that Joshua essentially sent me from Ireland, and I did write him about it, so that um, it, this is just, um, I just wanted to make sure everybody got the same information at the same time, because his question was very good. He asked about, how is it that essentially I get to my position on Adam? Well, I start putting these together, okay? This is the seed of the woman, as you know. That's the seed of the woman. Very important because it's not the seed of Adam. He would notice that. It's the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.20, uh, that is where I have the slaying of the animals, right? I have animals and the renaming, the renaming of the woman Eve very important. I would say to you that when he heard the seed of the woman, he went through the sentencing, he recognized what was going to happen and, and understood it and made the, made the point of renaming the woman. Now, um, here I'm at 1 Timothy 2.15 and I have childbirth. The woman will be saved by childbirth. I'll read that in a minute. Romans 5.12, through one man, the one man, Adam, death. Adam realized that he was going to be the poisoning of every single human being that was born. He was going to be the original source of it. Uh, that was an extraordinary thing for him to do. And hopefully you know all of those things, and you'll know, okay, I've got to put 3.15, 3.20, 2.15 Timothy, and Romans 5.12 together with Genesis 3.22. That's the, that's the behold, right? Back we go. Flip the board back over. All of those have to go together with 3.22 of Genesis. So, there is 3.22 on the other side of the board. Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good from evil. That is critical information. And those others go together with it. So you have this five-passage coupling up. Now, let me read 1 Timothy 2.15, so you'll see how it fits together 
And if you don't see, that's okay. That's what we're doing here is get it so you do see. Every time you read 1 Timothy 2.15, you know you're back at Genesis 3.15. You know you're back at the renaming of Eve in Genesis 3.20. You know that you're dealing with uh, the childbirth issue there as well. And here's what it says. For Adam was formed first, I'm back to 13, 2.13 Timothy, 1 Timothy. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Very important, by the way, to know that Eve was made out of Adam. So what is she? She's related to Adam. If she, if he had made her separate, I would have Adam and I would have Eve. Two distinct people, no genetic uh, similarity. No relationship genetically, wouldn't I? Or I could have. But because he makes her out of him, they're related. If I did a DNA test, I would have what? She's made from him, isn't she? So how, who did what crime? What are there, you know? And you gotta, you gotta recognize that. Why did God do it that way? Just, I'm on now on a tangent, aren't I? Why did he do it? He wanted to make sure that she was Genetically related to him. That's important. And therefore has a, there's an authority issue here. She's not, I do not have two separate people. I have, I have a line. I'm maintaining a line. Not two lines, one line. Yes. What, uh, you mean Adam would know that she was from him? Well, yeah, God would know, obviously. But it was very important that Eve be in the genetic line of Adam. Everybody is in the genetic line of Adam. You see, otherwise I would have some that would claim they're not, right? In which case, if Adam sins, then what's the, uh, what, what is the new excuse? Yeah, hey, we didn't do it. And it's also important that the transfer so uh, occurs. Uh, we'll get into that in just a second. I hope we all clear that up. I know I did that as kind of a... Whimsical approach. I'm trying to make the point that when you put Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.20, Timothy now, oh, I I stopped, didn't I? Didn't finish reading it. For Adam was first formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. That has puzzled theologians for centuries. What in the world is Paul talking about? Why did he mention childbearing? Well, that takes you back to uh, Genesis 3, 15, 16, 17, right? I'm dealing with the childbirth. She will have, she will have pain in childbirth. The childbirth issue, clearly that's a Genesis 3, 15 through 22 uh, uh, reference. So I'm saying to you, Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.20, 1 Timothy 2.15, Romans 5.12, put together with Genesis 3.22, I have this incredibly complex uh, situation now to, dis- to discover. I take the position that Adam, when he was made, was really, really something else. He was not stupid. He was not flawed in any way. He was an incredible human being compared to us. And that he is not deceived by Satan, so his wisdom and his ability to reason is at a level that we can't even imagine what he was like. And so do not anthropomorphize yourselves, ourselves, onto him. 
That would not do, do justice to God. God's really good at creating things and making them. He made a very good human being, a perfect machine, a fantastic uh, uh, creature that the angels marveled over. He did not make me. He made someone very impressive. We can't even begin to imagine how impressive. Okay? So, behold, this one man, Adam, and only this one man, has now become like one of the us, knowing good from evil. That's the way I said it last week. And I say it that way because I believe that if you begin to think of it that way and you couple all of these five verses together to fit with that one or the four to fit with this one, uh, you're going to go a long way towards being able to solve a bunch of mysteries that are in the Bible, a bunch of mysteries that are in life, such as the purpose of the virgin birth. If you understand Genesis 3.15, 3.22, 3.20 for that matter, 3.22, 1 Timothy 2.15, Romans 5.12, you're going to understand the purpose or the reason and the, and the methodology, if you will, of the virgin birth. You're going to understand why and how the angels fell and the consequences on them. You'll begin to understand free will and existence and the one and only means or method of salvation or reconciliation or restoration. All of those are the same. Salvation is really reconciling ourselves to God, restoring ourselves to God. You'll understand why there's only one of those. If you, if you prefer to think of it that way. Think of it as this way. There, there's only one antidote to sin and death. People don't like it when I say that. Um, somebody was telling me, and I'm, I'm sorry I didn't tell you, uh, I, didn't, I don't remember who you were that told me. That uh, was listening to a, a show where, where they said that uh, everyone will get into heaven. You'll just go up there and he'll decide who's good and who's not. And most people will be good and they'll all get in. It doesn't matter what you believe here on earth, there's this universalism. And that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says there's only one antidote to sin and death. Or if you more better prefer, there's only one solution to sin. There isn't uh, multiple solutions, there's just one. You'll understand why that's the case, why it has to be the case, why there can't be any other method but that one. Anyway, those and many others clear up when one uh, places the aforementioned five passages correctly together, and, and, and it's not an easy assignment. I don't want to make you think that it is. It's not. That, that's why I'm devoting uh, so much time, considerable time, to, to uh, working through it. And it'll take us a, a while. And last Sunday to that end, I began uh, what will be an arduous process of identifying the death generator. And that is inside all of all men. Notice how I said that. Not mankind. Not humankind. There's a death generator that is inside all men. Originating, obviously, in Adam. And it's, uh, as I said last week, uh, A.C. Custance described it or, or labeled it the, the mortogenic factor. Or that which, um, that, that which generates death. And in order to understand this... Um, if you were here last week, you'll notice that somatic cells and germ cells are still on the board. We're going to have to have a working knowledge of all of those things. Somatic cells, germ cells, chromosomes, plasma genes, um, mitochondrial DNA, DNA. Um, in order to get where is 
the death generation. So you women can look at the man and say, hey, you're, you're generating death. He is. I am. Men do. Because this is essentially the difference between the woman's ovum and the man's sperm. Does that make sense? That's what we're really discussing. And if you attended Lecture 99, you may remember that I kept emphasizing what Romans 5.12 so powerfully and perfectly states without any, any equivocation. There's no stuttering here at all. Through the man came death. The man, Adam, was the source of the transfer of the death generator, the death generation, to everybody in the world. He's the one that started this death generation. Now, every man also has it. Every man also transfers it. Okay, but it all starts with Adam. That is what Romans 5.12 says perfectly and powerfully. And it does not, as I said, stutter in any way. That causes great, great difficulty. It's not the woman to the world today. It's not the woman. It's the man. It's paternal sperm that contains the mortogenic factor. That's what Romans 5.12 is saying. Now, that becomes very important. And it's very important because biological science has only very recently concluded that this is the case. They verified that. Romans 5.12 is scientifically being verified as I'm speaking. The location of the death generation is being narrowed down. They're trying to find out, is it in the plasma genes of the, of the germ cells or the somatic cells um, of the sperm? Where is it? And they're beginning to focus on it. Why are they beginning to focus on the death generation system or factor? Yeah, they're going to try to get rid of it. That, by the way, is one of the great prophecies of the Bible. That's what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. That was obviously going on um, prior to the flood, um, along with great violence. Uh, they began to see if they could solve. Look, the tree of life, if you went to it, after you have the mortogenic uh, generation factor in you, you go to the tree of life, you live forever in sin. And the tree of life was guarded, right? Well, we've been trying to come up with a, uh, another system ever since, this, uh, this aging death system is a big uh, big issue in medicine. Uh, that is, uh, if you have a pill that solves death generation, my goodness, you are a very powerful person. I would recommend that you not sell it for money. I would trade it for cans of food. Tuna fish and oil will last forever now. But uh, science, as I said, is, is narrowing it down. And it is something, Romans 5.12, that man, the human, the male, has the death generation factor in him is something that Moses obviously knew. Isaiah obviously knew. Paul writes about it twice, uh, at least. Uh, thousands of years ago, they knew this. And you have to ask, how did these men know this? Uh, how, why did they know it? It becomes very important to them, and they make sure that you know it. Uh, whose phone is that? Anybody know? Wow, it's up here. I'll find it. I've narrowed it down. Oh, it's in a coat. Sorry, try again. I was too late. I'll leave it up here, so if they call back, I'll find it. 
I've always, you know, you fake people have faked phone calls for me. And and I knew it was fake before they handed it to me, but I kind of went with it because deep down inside I really want it to be a fake phone call. I mean a real phone call. I have to draw a pattern to unlock my new phone. I'll work on it during the sermon. But I really do, I really do want a phone call to be for me. It's never for me. Never. And and I want it to be pizza delivery. Okay. That is not my cell phone. I would guess uh, it's it's somebody in the band, and it was for them. And I wanted whoever it was, I was going to invite them to come to the lecture, bring pizza. It'll work out. Okay. My whole point is, is that Moses knew, Isaiah knew, Paul knew thousands of years ago that there's something to do. Uh, they didn't know that it was somatic cells. Perhaps they did. Moses had a red phone, if you will. He literally had his brain filled with God's wisdom. So how much did Moses know? And, and by the way, Adam is being, uh, Adam is, is uh, uh, he has access that we can't even imagine. And he has, he has brain capacity that we can't imagine. He's not dependent on, on some, uh, you know, on, on, a, on a book. He's got God himself to talk to. He's extraordinarily capable. His memory is amazing. Uh, his recall, all of that is there. He, he can process information that is astonishing to us. And he has got God right there. And so did Moses. And Paul, he, he has three years. What questions would you ask if you were in a classroom with God for three years? How long? What would you ask him? Would it ever occur to you to ask him, where does the death generation system originate? Um, could I see the spiritual reality? Could you explain your word to me? Can you tell me what happens to me? Can I see my my last five days? Would you ask God for that? Would He give it to you? Adam had a had a direct contact with God Himself, Creator God. Don't underestimate what He could do and what He thought. But again, Moses knew about this death generation. Um, so did Isaiah and Paul knew it. And they knew that a death generation came from the man. So how did they know that? Ask why they knew it and ask why they, they, they believed it was. So now, Holy Spirit is telling them to put it in Scripture. But they also would put it in Scripture. They knew it was important to you to understand Romans 5.12. Paul, Romans 5.12, bang, behold. One of those kind of things. And it's something, obviously, that Adam knew. Adam knew this. He knew that he was the one that had the death generator inside of him. He knew that he would be the father of death. He calls himself that. See, he would rename the woman the mother of life. And therefore, he is automatically the father of death. One requires the other. If I have a mother of life, then i got to have a father of death. I can't have a father of life. I've already got a mother of life. And I've got death. 
So if she's the mother of life, by default, he is the father of death. And knowing that and doing that, renaming the woman the mother of life, Eve, directly leads next to the all or the innocent blood covering placed on them and the fig leaves removed. And then we have the great behold of Genesis 3.22. The man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. And now I've revealed to you, if you'll think it through, and some of you already have, you came to me last week and said, wow, I think I got this. Is this where you're headed? And you were absolutely right. Uh, Now I've revealed the definition of good from evil. What is the good and what is the evil in that sentence or in those three words? Because I have good from evil, I have to ask the obvious question. What is the good part? What is the evil part? What is the difference between the two of them? In other words, I make them more specific. So that's revealed to you now, those of you who have figured it out. And good for you. Very impressive, by the way. Adam figured something out. That's what it says, essentially. He figured it out. No angel had heretofore accomplished it. And this is the what did Adam know and when did he know it question. Long before Nixon. And that's how we ended February 17th, lecture number 99, asking what exactly did Adam deduce that results in this incredible declaration by God himself about Adam? This, this name tag, if you will, this, this characteristic that Adam has. Behold this one man who alone knows this good from this evil. And that makes Adam the only one so far to that point who knows good from evil and is therefore he and therefore he is like one of the us. And Adam has become. Adam is the has become. No one else has become. He's the only has becomer in the whole place. So that tells you, in my view, that everyone had a, started pretty much in the same place. But he's the only one that figured something out and went across and became a has-becomer. So what did he know? When did he know it? How long did it take him to know it? How come only Adam is the only one to figure it out to this point? Back to how I began. Adam was pretty darn special. He was very impressive. But you now, all of you do, you know what good that Adam knew. And you know what evil is the good that the good opposed. Or to put it another way, what truth against what lie specifically or exactly. You all know that already. Um, As an aside, and, and don't worry, I'll continue to explain it. Just in case not everyone has figured it out. And I know many of you have, and I'm, I'm telling you that that's the case. Uh, many of you did come up last week and say, hey, I think I've got this, and you were absolutely right. And, uh, and so, but keep in mind, not everybody is uh, aboard the bus yet. Uh, there are always stragglers, as you know. And by stragglers, I don't mean you, because you're what? Yes, that's right. You're the highest and most holy attendeers. By stragglers, I mean uh, the uh, Internet people. Yeah, that'll be fun to get that mail. And, and of course, uh, people who are at for rendezvous, uh, flying in helicopters and, and, and doing uh, dog race riding. And, and they're on the, uh, the Ferris wheel that has been condemned how many times? Uh, 
and 75. You know, they're making a Ferris wheel that I don't know how big it is. I think it's almost a thousand feet high. I know there's one in the world that's 600 feet, and they want to be bigger than that one. I could have that wrong by a few feet, but it is a huge Ferris wheel. What is the chance? If you see this headline, Steve Cronister it, it falls out of thousand foot Ferris wheel. What is that? That's murder. That's right. Because there's no way I will go on that. No possibility. It is astonishing to me that somebody would say, here's my hundred bucks. I'm going to ride the Ferris wheel. Haven't you seen any of the movies? You know that it's going to be hit by a wave or Godzilla. Something's going to get it. It will not work out. I will not be on it. That will be murder, just like paralytic seafood poisoning. They held me down and they stuffed the oyster in me. I did not eat it. My own free will. That's murder. Ah, okay. <coughs> Immediately, I'm going off on a tangent. When I say, as I did here, let me repeat the sentence. Adam renames the woman, and he knows how important that is. So when I start repeating the renaming of the woman, you should start doing something. You should start cataloging. You should be collecting immediately. As soon as I say to you, and I've been saying it for the last month or so, and every time I've said it, I want you to go, wow, renaming. He renamed the woman. That's a big deal. It's a big deal in Genesis 3. It's specifically set aside. It leaps off the page, smacks you upside the head. And so you should start collecting. What should you be collecting? Rename it. Absolutely. Who should you? Immediately, who got renamed in Scripture? Yeah, Saul, Paul, Abraham. Abram to Abraham. Sarai to Sarah, right? I should be going out. Uh, Peter. Right? I should be running around finding everybody that God renamed. Get all the renamers together. Or the renamed ease. Put them all together. And Adam renamed the woman. Did he rename anybody else? Well, sort of. We'll get more on that in a minute. But I want you to notice that God renames all of us that are what? Everybody that has a certain characteristic is renamed by God. What is that characteristic? Hmm? Yes. Redeemed. What did you say? Believers. Absolutely. He renames believers. So, I had a gentleman come to see us a while back that um, that came up afterwards and told me that Adam was not saved and Eve was not saved. Well, that's interesting. Uh, they are covered in blood, innocent blood, by God himself. And one of them is a type of Christ. The other one is uh, the mother of life. They sure sound like they're saved to me and uh, ridiculous, I think, to try to defend otherwise. I pointed that out to him, and I haven't seen him since. So clearly I made him mad again. He'll come back. It takes him a year or so, and he gets over it and comes back to fight with me some more. But in any event, uh, they clearly are saved. And when you are renamed by God, in this case renamed by Adam, Adam is declaring Eve to be the mother of life. She is covered in innocent blood. She is the mother of life. And, and he believes she's saved. 
And here's another clue, or what's called the renaming clue. Or why Adam renamed the woman like clue. Let's uh, flip this back over and let's do some transitive property, which is just basic geometry. I'm trying to prove two angles are equal, then I, and I can prove those angles are equal to an, another angle, both angles equal to a same angle, then those a- angles are equal, right? You got all of that in geometry. I know you hated it, but it's really valuable to you from the logic standpoint. Let's, uh, let's just define, uh, life. How should we define life? The mother of life, the mother of living. How should we define it? We should find out how God defines it. So the only thing we want to know is what God thinks life is or what God thinks living is because she's called the mother of life or the mother of all living, a mother of all life. So what does God say is the definition of that? Well, let's work it out, shall we? Uh, Life is clearly not immortality or existence. You can have immortality and you can have existence, same thing, isn't it? And that doesn't mean that that is not life according to God. God defines life as what? Saved. If you're not saved, if you're not reconciled to him, if you are separated from him, if you are not redeemed by him, then you are not living. That's how he defines it. All else is separation, and all separation is defined as what? Death. God says living life is reconciliation, which means salvation. There is no life apart from salvation. Let me say it this way. There is no life as God defines life apart from salvation through Christ. All else is death. Everything is death. That's how he defines it. That makes people mad. They would call me a, well, they do call me a ranting idiot, but they would call me a a narrow-minded fundamentalist. And they're right. That's what I am. Why am I that way? I read the instructions. Thus, the mother of living is interchangeable. She is the mother of who? The saved. The redeemed. The reconciled. The mother of living is all interchangeable with the mother of saved. The mother of salvation. And Adam knew that. And he knows salvation. Salvation is the name of who? The second person of the triune Godhead. Proverbs 30, uh, verse 4. The salvation is Christ's name. You could say, when you meet Christ, you are very, very wise to say, if you will... Mr. Salvation, how are you? Because that's his name, Yeshua, right? And Adam knows his salvation. He knows Yeshua. He knows who and what we call Jesus, right? And Adam knew the truth about salvation versus or from the lie about salvation. You got that? Back we go to the other side. Adam has become someone that knows the truth about salvation from the lie about salvation. So what's the next obvious question? See, that brings to the fore the most obvious of the obvious questions. What is it? Well, what is the lie about salvation? 
We got some choices. Back I go again. I knew today would really tax the most highly, our most holy and platinum model that Supper Day fixed the wheels on, so now it doesn't fall off the stage. But I got, so I got to flip it back and forth here, and that's taking up time, and you're probably not hearing me so well on the internet, but Ben will fix that. Hey, I got lies about salvation. I have three lies that I think uh, sum up all the lies. The first one, uh, the first lie about salvation is that there is none. There is no salvation. In other words, no salvation system, no plan of salvation, because why? That's the first lie that I believe Satan uh, dealt with. All of this is the first lie of Satan, but this is within the lie of Satan. There is no salvation because God cannot save anybody. He cannot reconcile free will with his omniscience, thus or thereby eliminating any and all judgment or accountability. In other words, salvation is impossible. No salvation exists. That's one possibility that is the lie. Adam knows the difference from the truth about salvation and the lie about salvation. What does that say about the woman and the angelic realm? I ain't got it yet. Right now, he's the only has-becomer. And what made him figure this out? He's the first one in Scripture that demonstrates that he has figured it out. He's the first one in Scripture about whom it is said he has become. Second lie. All one lie, really, but three choices. I, I, I like to make it three just because it's fun. Salvation is unjust. So first, no salvation is possible because I can't reconcile uh, free will and omniscience. Second one, salvation is unjust. It's arbitrary. It's capricious. It's erratic. It's without any characteristic of fairness or reason. Uh, some are saved, but most are condemned without any process that is determinable. Uh, not even rising to the level of a lottery. It just, it's unjust. Salvation is then rendered as a joke or a cool trick whose final eventual outcome is unknowable, yet to be revealed as illusionary. Do, do people believe that? Do Christians believe that? Yes. There are very large, very impressive churches, beautiful buildings where they are convinced that they are saved. They don't know why. They don't care. It's just arbitrary. And they'll tell you, they always are very anxious to tell you, that uh, that there is a, 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 a huge amount of children unsaved because they're, just, God just said, sorry. It's capricious. It's arbitrary. And it's unknowable. The outcome is unknowable. Notice that knowing element. Because remember, the man has become like one of us, one of the us, one of the Godhead, knowing, knowing. See, a lot of times you've heard me all throughout the years, do you want to know or do you want to feel? Look, I understand we're emotional feeling beings. 
But God does not stress that you can feel your way to salvation. What does He say? You can know. There's an assurance to salvation. It is not a feeling. It is knowing-based, not feeling-based. And remember, the man knows. He doesn't feel good. He doesn't feel good from evil. He knows good from evil. And the contrast again between knowing and not knowing, that's Genesis 15.6. Abraham asked God, how can I know I will inherit eternal life? You can know it. And God emphasizes knowing again. Genesis 3.22 God declares that man has the capacity to know and in fact does know. And don't pass that by that truth very quickly. God is destroying the, the lie, these three lies. I've only got two on the board. I know I'll get to the third one in a second. He's destroying these three choices or these three uh, elements of the lie of Satan in a systematic approach. That's what he's doing. And obviously, if a man can know and does know, then the angels can know. You can know. See, because Satan started out saying, it's unknowable. And God responds, he knows. That guy right there. He knows. So what is required to know? What is the knowing process? I want to know the knowing process. <laughs> oh. Somebody on the internet will laugh at that. Thank you, whoever you are. Please send me an email. I want to know the steps to knowing something. Okay, number three. No salvation exists. Salvation is unjust, capricious. It has no uh, knowable uh, entity. It's really illusionary. The third one is what? You can do this. What's the third one? I gave it away earlier. It's unnecessary. How, how do you spell unnecessary? E. Unnecessary. It's not easy to spell while you're writing it on the board. In other words, it's unnecessary because what? Why would it be unnecessary? I'll read it to you. Well, no, we don't even need it. We don't need people to be saved. If we don't need any people to be saved, then what's... Uh, I'll read it to you. Uh, Genesis uh, uh, 3, 4, right? 3, 4. Then, the, then Satan said to the woman, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. No, I won't die. If you're not going to die, you don't need salvation. It's unnecessary. Superfluous. And the woman is deceived by that. But the man is not deceived. The woman believes Satan and eats the poison in disobedience, believing that she will discover that salvation is not necessary because there's no such thing as death. It is a what? Lie is, God said you will surely die. That is a lie. God doesn't want you to know there is no death. And the woman believes that. She believes that there is no need for salvation. Number three is true, she thinks, but she's deceived. And now, after she eats the poison, she knows what? She's dead. As God defines death. We define death really badly. What do we define death as? Yeah, physical and, and um, physical death is temporal death. 
we're all shook up over temporal, uh, over physical death. And listen, I'm right there with you. I don't make, I don't want you to think that I'm some paragon of strength. I'm not. I'm a crybaby. Just like everybody else. And I will go kicking and screaming and wailing and fighting like an idiot. Unless I'm heavily sedated. Which, <laughs> that seems to be uh, headed my way. <coughs> okay. The man is never deceived. The man, Adam, Adam, never believes any of those three things. He never believes that no salvation exists because God can't solve it. He never believes that it is capricious or just luck or a cruel joke or unjust and unknowable. And he never believes it's unnecessary because there is no death. That is what Satan says. And by the way, that is what the world says, isn't it? It is word for word. It's still the same. You can find it in the what he said to Eve. You can find it all throughout the Bible. And these people think they've made it up. And they're all teaching in colleges. If the woman falls for it, not the man. He never believes any of the three choices. But he still takes the poison. But he does not go to the second tree. Can't say that enough. He instead fashions a covering and he hides. And what's he do? He waits. Doesn't go to the second tree, and he waits because he never falls for those three things. He waits for who? He waits for God. To do what? To come. To return. He waits for the Lord to return. He waits on the Lord to save him. Is absolutely right. That is an incredible amount of faith and belief, isn't it? Those acts demonstrate waiting for the Lord to return because we don't know how. Some people will say God came three times a year. Some people will say He comes seven times a year. Some people would say He comes once a year. You're in charge. I'll be back in a year. See how you do. I'm going to put it that way. Can He actually go away? No, He's omnipresent. But this physical walk in the garden thing most the strongest position is called the Passover position, uh, that Christ comes uh, once a year. But we're required, by the way, to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. How many pilgrimages are we supposed to make? How many pilgrimage festivals do we have? We have three. So many people think, okay, we have three pilgrimage festivals, therefore there were three meetings a year. Uh, so both positions have a lot of value. And, and uh, I wouldn't speculate. But obviously he's not, he, he's coming and going, so to speak, if you will. Though that's not really true either. But the acts of Adam, that he didn't go to the second tree, that he got a, he fashioned a covering uh, of figs, uh, that's very important because of what he's saying by doing that, and he waits. How long did he have to wait? Months for sure. He's got to keep that deceived woman from doing what? Run into that second tree. And she doesn't go. Now, I don't think he tied her up. I don't think so. I think she willingly waited also. And they resisted this incredible temptation to go to that second tree and live physically forever in sin. They knew that was a bad plan. Okay, those acts of Adam demonstrate 
that he deduced something greatly significant and that Adam believed something very, very special. And after the trial, after the confession that both of them make, and the sentencing, now remember, Adam says, look, you made her out of me. It isn't a separate line. I have, you know, listen, you knew that I'm in a predicament here is what he's saying. I, I can't forsake her. I can't save her from all those lectures, remember? But he specifically says, you made her out of me. That's important to know. That's why I brought it up today. Not separate lines, one line. So after the trial, after the confession, after the sentencing, then Adam renames the woman the mother of the saved, the mother of the living. And by inference, renames himself the father of the dead, which he's absolutely identified as being in Romans 5.12. And obviously, Adam has figured out the method of salvation that God will use. Obviously, Adam knows that the egg of the woman is not contaminated. He figured that out. It's the sperm that's contaminated. The sperm has the death generation in it. The sperm is the mortogenic factor. So what's the obvious question now? How did he figure that out? What evidence is there that he figured it out? How did Adam know it? Clearly, he interpreted Genesis 3.15 correctly. He heard that she would have, it would be the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man. Salvation would come through the ovum of the woman. And he would know. Not my seed. If it's not my seed, what's wrong? Let me put it this way. Instead of calling it the seed of the woman, I'm going to call it the egg of the woman. The egg of the woman will crush the Antichrist. The egg of the of, of Satan. It's not the sperm of the man will crush the sperm of Satan. It's the egg, the seed of the woman. He would know it. He would immediately know as soon as he found out that it's her egg and not his sperm. What would he assume? He's a very, uh, he's a brilliant creature. He's a ridiculous. Got to be something wrong with me. Somehow, it is me that transfers death, not the woman. Salvation would come through the ovum of the woman, if you want to think of it that way. The man, all human men, have to be excluded. A human father can't be involved and therefore wouldn't be involved. God would replace the man's role with who? With himself. That's why I don't need a a immaculate Mary. I do not need a, a woman that is sinless. I just need to replace the man. We'll get into this biologically. There's some wonderful work out there. I actually spoke to, to a gentleman um, in Canada named Dr. Uh, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, uh, Gary C-H-I-A-N-G. Uh, Chiang, I believe. Um, and he has done incredible. He's a biologist. He has done Incredible work on this, and uh, I'll use some of his material because it's the most up-to-date. But mostly, as you know, my position comes from uh, way back in the woods, uh, all the way back to the 1900s. Mendelian genetics is what we're going to be doing. Okay, So, you'll like that.
That'll be done on Ishtar. Bring your friends. Talking about the colors of peas on, on first verse. Everybody loves that. But God would replace the man's role with himself. God would be the father and God would be the child. Get that? He would be both the father and the child. He would He's the Holy Spirit and he's the holy thing. God would be both. And Adam immediately understands that and renames the woman the mother of all living. Paul understood it and said that the woman, though deceived, is saved by the childbirth process because her germ cells render her ovum uncontaminated. So a solution is possible, but an uncontaminated father is necessary. Where can I find one? There's only one, God himself. It's the big one. So it isn't all childbirth in Timothy, but just one particular childbirth that will save all who believe. That one childbirth is the virgin childbirth or the virgin birth, the incarnation, the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. God has a plan. Adam believed that God has a plan. He waited for the plan. He knew the plan was there. He believed in the plan, and he waited for the plan. He knew that God had a solution, and that is evidenced by Adam's waiting and not going to the second tree after eating the poison. And Adam sees the plan of salvation at the sentencing. Oh, that's how you're going to do it. And Satan is cursed at that sentencing. When God curses you, what is he declaring you to be? Hmm? Dead. God curses you, you're what? Dead, as God defines dead. You will not surely die. That's a lie. We need salvation because death is real. Not just physical death because physical death doesn't apply to Satan, does it? Spiritual death. As God defines death. And Satan is cursed, declared death. Dead. But the woman is not declared dead, and Adam is not declared dead. Childbirth, the seed of the woman, is central to the plan. Innocent blood, sacrifice, substitution, covering, all part of the solution. But so is believing, and what? Something we hate. All of us hate it. Believing, and what? Waiting on God. He says it all the time, by the way. Wait upon the Lord. He's going across the Red Sea with Moses, and Moses says this to the Israelites. Everybody shut up and wait. Watch what God does. As we cross fire, the Red Sea, which is what? In typology. Physical death. And you get out on the other side. Just shut up and wait and believe. We'll make it. That's what he says. Okay, the shut up part I've kind of added in there. But he really, I, if, you, if you read it, you'll think, oh yeah, I'll buy that. Death is real. We will surely die. Our creatures uh, um, with free will have, are subject to spiritual death. That's how free will and spiritual death start to fit together. There will surely be death. Satan's statement. Satan's statement. Did I say Satan's statement? What am I saying? More Diet Coke. 
Satan's statement, you will not surely die, is a lie. Salvation is necessary because you will surely die if you choose, as God defines surely die. Surely die is spiritual death, eternal separation. And Adam knew death was true, therefore free will was true, but good was, but God was good and, and omniscient, and therefore a solution existed. And if a solution existed for humanity and the physical creation, then the same solution would exist and would apply to the spiritual reality. And for those who, uh, for those in the spiritual reality that also believed and waited, who did not flee, who did not leave, who did what? They stayed and what? Waited. Let me read that to you. It's in the Bible. It's really cool, I think. You know you'd put it in there, right? i got to find it. It's in Jude. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, there's that word again, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. What did they do? The angels that did not believe. They did not wait, and they left. And Adam believed, and he waited. And other angels believed, and they waited, but they did not figure it out. Adam did. But why didn't the angels stay? Why did they leave? Why did they flee? It's the same question, isn't it? Is why Adam didn't go to the second tree. And there now you have it. Some believe God is good and some believe and they wait on God. And the others flee. That's how it works. He'll be a waiter. <laughs> okay. Lots of jobs. Yay for Jane in the front row who laughed at the waiter joke. Okay. Let's rise and bait his neck.